Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. If you would turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We continue on in a series entitled The Fullness of Life. Taken from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, an abundant life that is fruitful, that is victorious. And so far we've looked at several key elements of this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and we have just started on this journey of studying the warfare of the Spirit. A spiritual warfare, which is defined as that, that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. Let me read that again. Spiritual warfare is that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. And this has astounding implications for our everyday lives. For what it means is that everything visible and physical is the result of something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, only by addressing the invisible spiritual cause can we fix what is wrong with our visible physical lives. Last week, we used the example of dandelions. Very timely, right? A lot of dandelions out there right now. And so we can waste so much time lopping the heads off of dandelions only to have them what? Come right back. And even more so. Instead, as it is with dandelions, so it is in our lives. We've got to get to the root of the problem. Not just deal with the symptoms and the outward appearance. We've got to deal with the root. And in the case of spiritual warfare, that root, that invisible spiritual cause is our enemy, the devil, and his army of fallen angels. That invisible spiritual cause is our enemy, the devil, and his army of fallen angels. These are called demons who are especially interested in attacking followers of Jesus. Why? Because we are those who have been entrusted with the mission of glorifying God, and Satan is all about stealing God's glory. Well, how do demons do that? I thought this, this quote from uh, author Larry Richards was very helpful. He said, what, what demons do is influence us. They tempt us. They twist our thinking and cloud our understanding. They lie to us about our identity in Christ telling us we are useless and hopeless. Demons encourage bitterness and anger and destroy healthy relationships. They stimulate our fears and cause panic. They drown us in depression and despair. They tell us that we cannot risk stepping out in faith to respond to God's word. Demons push us toward addictions that can ruin our lives. And sometimes in the process, demons ruin our health. So again, we know that Satan is the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy the abundant life that God intends for his children. And so, as it connects with this series, The Fullness of Life, if we are ever to experience the full or abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare over the devil and his enemies. If we are ever to experience the full or abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare over the devil and his demons. And to that end, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, 
It's what this is all about. And last week, we were given two commands, two commands in this journey. The first is to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord. Notice it doesn't say be strong in yourself, for the truth of the matter is that the devil and his demons are far stronger than we are. They are, after all, angels, while we are but flesh made of dust. An angel will beat a human every single time. However, God is infinitely more powerful than angels. He is, after all, the one who created the angels. And so when we find our strength in the Lord, there is not an angel who can defeat us. And this is especially true because of what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says of Jesus, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so, as the first three chapters take great lengths to explain what it means for us to be positionally in Christ, what that means is that the victory that Jesus won through the cross and the empty tomb, guess what? That's our victory as well. Which means that in spiritual warfare, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. We do not fight for victory, we fight from victory because Jesus has already won and God has given us everything we need to overcome the enemy. And an important component of what he has provided for us is the second command from last week, which is put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. For while God has already won the war against the devil by means of the cross and the empty tomb, we are still given the responsibility to fight battles until Jesus returns. And what happens when we fight those battles is we are enforcing Christ's victory here on the earth. And so today we are given instruction regarding the first piece of this armor, which is the belt of truth in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 14. Would you please stand with me as I read today's text? Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to begin in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says to them, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our weakness this morning. We acknowledge that we are but made of dust. We acknowledge that we are no match for a fallen angel, a demon, certainly no match for Satan. But God, we thank you that the one who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And we thank you that you are omnipotent. And God, you have secured and demonstrated and proven your victory by the cross in the empty tomb. And so this morning, as those who claim, who profess, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and are positionally in him, we ourselves proclaim that victory in our lives. We ask that you would make it so. What is true theologically, would you make true this morning in reality? This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we learn what it means to put on this first piece of our spiritual armor, which is the belt 
of truth. Now remember, as Paul writes this, he is most likely chained to a Roman soldier. And he is using that soldier's armor as an object lesson in which he, he, he takes each piece of the physical armor worn by that soldier and it has a corresponding piece of spiritual armor that is to be played out in our spiritual lives. And so today we unpack the significance of the belt of truth and we will consider three things this morning. First of all, Satan's scheme. Satan's scheme. Number two, God's provision. And then our implementation, reminding ourselves that if we are ever to experience the full or abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare over the devil and his demons. So let's first of all look at Satan's scheme, which is simply this. He's not particularly creative. His scheme is this, to undermine God's revelation with deception. To undermine God's revelation with with deception. And interestingly, we see this happen in the very first chapters in the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Here comes some revelation, okay? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So church, here we have revelation. Here we have truth. Here we have a clear command from a loving Heavenly Father. He's instructing His children, Adam and Eve, and how to live an abundant life in the Garden of Eden. Clear revelation rooted in God's loving character and intended for the good of His creation. But then watch what happens in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the devil, our enemy, he shows up in the form of a serpent in the garden. What does he do? What's his scheme? He undermines God's revelation with deception. And he does so in two specific steps. Step one is he gets Eve and he gets us to question God's word. Step one is he gets us to question God's word. What what is that question that he asked Eve? Did God actually say, some of your translations, did God really say? Again, a question carefully crafted to get Eve to question God's word. And the truth of the matter is, Satan does the very same thing today, does he not? For example, he gets us to ask, did God actually say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime, and that sex is only to be practiced in this context? Did God actually say that? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, he answered the words of Jesus, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so what was Satan's scheme? What is Satan's scheme? To undermine God's revelation with deception by causing humanity to question God's word. Or how about this one? Did God actually say that there is an eternal heaven and hell? About a decade ago or so, author named Rob Bell, he wrote a book called Love Wins. And boy, it, it sent a lot of 
tidal waves through the church. He ushered in kind of this new stream of universalism, which means everybody gets to heaven. And in this book, Rob Bell does essentially two things. Number one, he questions the revelation of God in the scriptures. And number two, he questions the character of God as revealed in the scriptures. In essence, how could a loving God send people to hell? And his conclusion, he wouldn't and he won't. Everyone will be in heaven. There is no hell which is a deception contradicting the revelation of Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Or in Matthew 13, 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, even today, Satan's strategy is to undermine God's revelation with deception by causing humanity to question God's word. Or how about one more, this one. Did God actually say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? To say that Jesus is the only way, that is so, it certainly isn't inclusive. It certainly isn't tolerant. It certainly isn't politically correct. Well, as a matter of fact, yes, God did actually say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In fact, Jesus himself said so in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see that Satan's scheme in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, today, is to undermine God's revelation with deception. Step one is to question God's word. Step two is to question God's character. Step two is to question God's character. Look at verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent, the devil, he wants Eve to think that God does not really have her best interest at heart. And that God's holding out on her somehow. That maybe God isn't good after all. And that he doesn't love us as he says. And that because of all of that, because we question his character, his ways aren't best after all. Ultimately, again, getting us to question God's character. Well, as you can see, Satan's deception is rooted in lies. In lies. Which is why Jesus said of him, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Those are harsh words, especially when you consider they're from the lips of Jesus, but leaving no doubt about excuse me, about the character and intent of our enemy, whose scheme is to undermine God's revelation with deception in two steps. Number one, questioning God's word, and number two, questioning God's character. All right, so that's the scheme. What are we to do when we are confronted with Satan's scheme? How are we to defend ourselves against his deceptive lives? Well, we rely on God's provision, God's provision, and in this case specifically, the belt of truth the belt of truth. We overcome Satan's lies with God's truth. Look with me again at verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. There are all kinds of belts, aren't there? Here's a picture from Christie's closet, (laughs) right? 
Belts can have a practical purpose of holding up our pants. Belts can have a fashionable purpose of making us look good. But then there are also uh, championship belts, the kind that they give to the winner in boxing or UFC or professional wrestling. So there are many kinds of belts. There are also uh, tool belts, of which I know nothing, um, how those operate. And then there's even a serpentine belt. Um, which is vital to your vehicle's engine. So there are certainly lots of kinds of belts, but the kind of belt that we're talking about today, the kind of belt that God has provided so that we can overcome the lies of the enemy is the belt of truth. But to understand the belt of truth, it will require of us to establish what truth is. What truth is. And if you remember, when Jesus was on trial, the Roman governor Pilate, he asked this very insightful question. Remember that? He simply said, what is truth? What is truth? It's a timeless question. Relevant then, certainly relevant now, because there's a lot of confusion even today about truth. In our day, Satan has undermined the whole idea of truth by sowing two kinds of seed. The first kind of seed that Satan has sown is relativism. According to relativism, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Things like knowledge, truth, and morality, they exist in relation to culture, in relation to society, in relation to our historical context, and they are not absolute, which means that things like truth, they sh it shifts and it changes. It depends on the circumstance. Thus, the name relativism, truth, is relative. It's not fixed. It's not objective. It's not absolute. It moves. It's a moving target. The second kind of seed that Satan has planted to confuse us in regard to truth is pluralism. The whole idea that there are many truths. And boy, this is running rampant today. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. So don't impose your truth on me. But here's the thing. With both relativism and pluralism, there's no such thing as one universal, objective, absolute truth. That is until you jump out of an airplane, right? And all of a sudden, relativists and pluralists, they quickly become absolutists, don't they? When they insist on having a parachute. Why? Because they acknowledge, whoa, there is an absolute truth called gravity. Further, and this one hurts, relativists and pluralists quickly become absolutists when children are murdered in an elementary school. Because we all agree that that is wrong, that's evil, that's bad, should not happen. Suddenly, there is some objective truth, a moral standard, which says that this is wrong while other things are right. And so in such cases, relativism and pluralism quickly fall apart. It, it, as you've heard before, too, it also contains a logical fallacy due to the fact that even making a statement that says that there is no such thing as absolute truth is what? It's an absolute truth. But we were once again confronted with Pilate's question, what is truth? And Jesus answered the question in John chapter 17, verse 17. I love the simplicity of Jesus sometimes. When he prayed to the Father on our behalf, and he said this, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Not feelings, not opinions, not even the will of the majority at the ballot box. These things do not determine what is true. Only the Word of God is our standard for truth, and it is absolute. And it is this truth that we fasten around our waists in spiritual warfare. 
Well, what exactly does this belt of truth provide for us in battle? Remember, we're talking in the context of spiritual warfare. We have a very real enemy who's coming against us. He's going to attack us. What does this belt of truth provide for us? Three things. Number one, with the belt of truth, we are stable. With the belt of truth, we are stable. Anybody craving some stability in this unstable world of ours? Notice that the positioning of the belt is in the midsection, right? We call that our core. Many of you have been to physical therapists for a wide variety of issues, and, and namely, um, for some, such as back pain, issues that have made us unstable. And what do physical therapists most always want us to work on? Strengthening our core. Why? Because that core makes us stable. And so it is with the belt of truth. It functions kind of like a weightlifting belt. A weightlifting belt, supporting the core, thereby making us stable, even under the greatest of stress and strain. And as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that phraseology, steadfast, immovable. We would say stable. When? It says always, always, but especially when the evil one comes to attack by undermining the revelation of God, by causing us to question his word, question his character with his lies. When this happens, we must be strong in our core with the strength that comes from the belt of truth rooted in God's word. And so Satan's attack reminds me of one of my favorite shows from years ago. Anybody remember American Gladiators? American Gladiators? Oh my, exactly, yeah. Eye roll, oh goodness. Um, it just kind of goes to show my intellectual capacity there. American Gladiators. One of the events was something called the Joust. And you and your opponent would face off standing opposite of each other on a raised disc, trying to knock each other off. And folks, that's exactly what Satan's trying to do to you. He's trying to knock you off. And so you desperately need the strength and stability in your core that comes from the belt of truth so that you are able to stand when attacked. Everybody say stand. Standing is the key theme in this passage. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You get the idea? When you are standing on that raised disc and Satan comes to knock you off, we must be able to remain standing. And the way that we access that kind of stability and strength in our core is with the belt of truth. Without it, we're like a limp noodle, right? Anything but strong, anything but stable, anything but able to stand in the midst of attack. Therefore, anything but victorious. And so, with the belt of truth, we are stable. Next, we are prepared. We are prepared for battle with the belt of truth. Now, if we look at Ephesians 6.14 and some other translations, we find some interesting language. So let's take a look at a survey of some of the other translations. First of all, the King James Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. 
The New King James Version. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And then my personal favorite, the NASB. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. When's the last time you talked about somebody's loins? Be very careful with that, okay? Because it will get you into trouble. You've heard of a loincloth, right? A loincloth, which gives us a little bit of a clue about what loins are all about. It helps us understand that loins are the region of the waist and below. The region of the waist and below, including one's private parts. And so what on earth does it mean to gird up one's loins, and what does that have to do with the belt of truth? Well, in the ancient world, they dressed differently than we do, right? They wore these blousey tunics, which were great for comfort. I imagine they were great for living in a hot, arid climate. But they were lousy for running, for fighting, and for working. And so when it was time to run or fight or work, an individual would gird up their loins, as explained by this chart from the art of manliness. All right, let me walk you through this. Number one in the upper left-hand corner, the tunic wouldn't allow you to do heavy labor or fight in battle, necessitating the girding of one's loins. Number two in the top middle. First, hoist the tunic up so that all the fabric is above your knees. This will give you mobility. Number three in the upper right-hand corner, gather all the extra material in front of you so that the back of the tunic is snug against your backside. Number four, the lower left-hand corner, once the excess is gathered in front, pull it underneath and between your legs to your rear. This feels much like a diaper. (laughs) Number five, gather half of the material in each hand, bringing it back around to the front. And then number six, in the lower right-hand corner, finally, tie your two handfuls of material together, and you're all set for both battle and some hard labor Go forth, be ye men, and gird up your loins. Okay? So, you may not remember anything else today. You'll probably remember that. (laughs) Well, here it refers to a Roman soldier. And in his case, when he girded up his loins, that belt was used for tucking in the tunic. He didn't have to just merely tie it together. He was able to tuck it into the belt. And so when the belt was on and the tunic was tucked in, then and only then was the soldier prepared for battle. He had girded up his loins. If the soldier did not have the belt on, and if his loins were not girt, then he was unprepared for battle. Jesus built on this concept when he made spiritual application in Luke 12, 35. He said, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. Have your belt on and your loins girt so that you are prepared for battle. Now again, what is the belt? It is the belt of, which is connected directly to the word of God. Now, we see all the way back in the book of Exodus the importance of being dressed and ready. Um, Just prior to the Passover, we read this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. It says, In this manner ye shall eat it, the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on, your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Right? They were getting ready to leave Egypt at a moment's notice. They had to be ready to go. They had to be prepared. So have that belt on so when it comes time to run, you can gird up your loins and you can go. So with the belt of truth, we are stable, but we are also prepared. When we have the word of God, the truth, we are ready for battle. Number three, we are also armed. 
We are also armed. For the belt had a third function, which was that of holding the sheath for a sword or dagger. And again, as we'll see in a few weeks, in our collection of heavenly armor, Paul refers to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this this makes perfect sense. The belt of truth holds the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They go together like peanut butter and jelly or like Chad and Christie. They just go together, right? And in Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in overcoming Satan's schemes, his scheme of undermining God's revelation with deception by questioning God's word, questioning God's character, and doing so with his lies, we have been given God's truth in the form of a belt that tightens and holds strong our core and also a sword, which means that it all comes down to this. Successful spiritual warfare, Sam Storm says, begins with the question, do I accept the Bible as God's word? inspired, infallible, and inerrant, the sole authority for belief and practice. The vast majority of people who are adversely influenced by principalities and powers of which Paul speaks suffer precisely because of their ignorance of biblical truth. Which is why we give such careful attention to it here at First Baptist Church. The degree to which you are successful in spiritual warfare is largely dependent upon you being armed belted with the Word of God. The belt of truth represents the sheath that carries the sword of the Spirit. So, with the belt of truth, we are stable, we are prepared, we are armed. Anybody interested in that? I am. All right. Now, let's look at the third component this morning. After we've looked at Satan's scheme and God's provision against his scheme, now we look at our implementation. Again, if we are ever to experience the full or abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare. So how do we practically implement the belt of truth into our 21st century everyday lives? This is the application or how should we then live portion of the message. And the first point of application is this. Slam the door on Satan's lies. Slam the door on Satan's lies. For the fact of the matter is, just as Jesus warned us, Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. And his main way of attacking us is to bombard us with lie after lie after lie after lie. And here's the tragic part of this, church. We welcome and voluntarily open all kinds of doors to Satan and his lies. And when we do so, he gets a foothold, which left unchecked becomes a stronghold. And there are so many examples that we could give of this. I believe pornography is a prime example. Nobody sets out to be addicted to pornography, do they? But when you open the door for one look, And you open the door for a second look, and then another, the door finally becomes wide open, and Satan will not miss the opportunity to walk through that door, leading to all kinds of strongholds in our lives, holding us in bondage. Even believers, believers can be held in Satan's bondage. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. We must be vigilant about what doors we open in our lives. You're all familiar with this picture of Jesus knocking on the door, right? But are you aware that he's not the only one knocking? 
24-7, Satan is knocking, bombarding us with lies through the media, through culture, and behind it all are demons. Satan executing his strategy of undermining God's revelation with deception, with his lies. We must slam the door on his lies and ask ourselves some honest questions. What doors have I left open? What doors am I opening when I'm on the internet? What doors am I opening when I choose that television program? What doors am I opening when I listen to that music? Music. The lies that Satan bombards us with through music. What lies have I, what doors have I opened to Satan's lies through destructive relationships? We must intentionally, deliberately, viciously slam the door on Satan's lies. Next, saturate yourself in the scriptures. Saturate yourself in the scriptures. That word saturate is one of my favorites when it comes to God's word. Makes me think of a sponge, right? Sponge with all of its pores, all of its nooks and crannies that soak up liquid and then are able then to dispense, ooze, whatever that substance is that it has been saturated in. I believe that that's a picture of what our lives should be like when it comes to the Word of God, that we so saturate ourselves in God's Word that we're like that sponge that's just so overwhelmed and filled with God's Word that it just oozes out of us automatically. There's no room for lies because we're so filled with truth. This was the instruction to God's people from the very beginning when God said in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. When? Day and night. So that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Meditate on it day and night. That's simply a way of saying constantly, all the time. Not filing it away in the back of your mind, but intentionally having it on the forefront of your mind. You know, we tend to treat God's word like this. A Flintstone vitamin, which... Back when I was a kid, that was, that was important, right? That, that vitamin that you take at the beginning of each day to supplement your life. A supplement is something that makes our lives better, our health better. You take it, and then you forget it. But God's Word is not meant to be like a Flintstone vitamin that we take first thing in the morning and then forget about it. Rather, it is the belt of truth. And by it, when we are constantly preoccupied with it, it makes us stable, it makes us prepared, it makes us armed. Because while you may take a time off from the spiritual battle, Satan does not. And without the belt of truth, without God's Word in the forefront of your mind, without it saturating your life, you are unstable, you are unprepared, and you are unarmed. And since Satan will attack at any moment, God's word must be constantly with us. So, slam the door on Satan's lies. Saturate yourself in the scriptures. And then number three, stop being Satan's messenger. Stop being Satan's messenger. What I mean is by passing on his lies. Which also means half-truths. Because half-truths are whole lies. Um... For good or for bad, social media has revealed this to a large degree, become an interesting case study. And unfortunately, it has become a primary means by which so many of us have functioned as Satan's messengers. 
On the one hand, on Monday, perhaps we post about how Jesus is all the world to me. A wonderful, bright, hopeful testimony about Jesus and how awesome he is. On Monday. And then on Tuesday, posting or reposting some half-baked conspiracy theory or politically motivated misinformation that is not even half true without any evidence whatsoever of its truthfulness. How does the world respond to that when they see what you posted on Monday and then what you posted on Tuesday? What happens is what you posted on Monday has no credibility whatsoever. And we wonder why we have no credibility in the world. We wonder why the church has no credibility in the world. James said it this way, very plain in James 3, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. we got to turn off the salt water, church. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for Jesus and his kingdom? Or do you want to be known for being a messenger of Satan's lies and a bunch of half-truths and a bunch of things which aren't true that we repost and we post and, oh, whoops, that wasn't true after all. There's an old saying which I think is quite helpful with this. It uses the acrostic think. I use it in sermons on a regular basis because it's so practical. That acrostic think is meant to filter what we say and what we post. Think before you speak. We ask these questions. What would your, what would your Facebook feed be like if you applied this? Number one, is it true? Not you think it might be true. Do you know that it's true before you post it or repost it? Number two, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Number three, is it inspiring? Next, is it necessary? And lastly, is it kind? True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. If we were to speak and post with this as our guide, we would surely discover that our words have greater credibility with the world. I think of the the scripture that says, the tongue... The keyboard has the power of life and death. Our words matter. Our words matter. And also by our words will we be justified and will we be condemned. Over the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We could go on and on with that. So, and I don't want to simply make this about posting, but what we say, what we say. So, how should we live? Slam the door on Satan's lies. Saturate yourself in the Scriptures. And number three, stop being Satan's messengers. That is the belt of truth. Next week, we will take a look at the breastplate of righteousness. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the victor. And through you, we are able to be victorious. But God, there are steps for us to take to appropriate that victory. And I believe that you have mandated, you have ordained those steps so that we would be diligent about our relationship with you, but also our obedience to you and to your commands. And so God, would you find us to be both of those things, diligent in our relationship with you and obedient to your commands, and then ultimately the fruit of that will be victory. God, I pray for those who are here this morning that they have open doors. They have open doors which have led to footholds, which have become strongholds, and now leave them in bondage. And God, we pray that you would unleash the power of your Holy Spirit to set them free. 
And God, for all of us, may we be diligent about slamming that door and not being careless about leaving it open. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.